Well, let's move on with this idea of I love my church. And uh, I hope you're getting to understand that loving your church is not just I really love the people of my church, or that's part of it, we're going to actually look at that next week, but that what we accomplish, what we're part of, what God is doing, it's something that He loves, and because He loves it, He wants to, if we're in line with Him, we will love His church. Matter of fact, I have a hard time, and, and I'm not trying to make just a, a blanket statement, because I know there's can be extenuating circumstances, I have a very hard time with anybody telling me they love Jesus and they don't love the local church. Um, I just, I just ha- can't see how it's possible because the local church is simply a gathering of people who love Jesus. So how can't you love being with a gathering? If you love Jesus, how can't you love being with people who love Jesus? Right? More than loving being somewhere else with people who don't necessarily love Jesus. He's not the center of their lives. So, so today we're going to look at another one of the reasons why we love our church. Why According to scriptures, what the church does, that if we, if we engage in that, it's a reason to love the church for that reason. We love our church because it's a place where God, and this is the statement I'm going to make right now. I've made the same statement every week, and I'm going to make it every week we're done, so that by the end you get it. That we love our church because it's a place where God unites with us to accomplish his purposes, to accomplish those things that are eternally significant and are also blessings for each of us. That's why we love our church. Our lives are better because we partner together with God in accomplishing his purposes for our lives and for the world. So today, let's turn our attention to the second of God's purposes for his church. Um, and it's this, the word serving. The second purpose we want to look at, first of all, we did an overview, and then last week we looked at worship. This week we're talking about serving. And the way we describe the way we want to serve around our church is we believe in serving passionately with the love of Jesus. And my hope is that I'm going to mess with you today. That's my hope, that a lot of you in here are hearing this right now. This is a graphic we use to describe our our core values, or our purposes, rather. And we looked at worship last time, and so this time is serving. And some of you, when you see that, this is what you've done. Click. Does that that make sense to you anymore if you're young going click? Because your TVs don't go click. You would go like this, (laughs) click. So you know what I mean when I'm doing that? So click. You just turned yourself off. And you don't want to hear what I have to say at all because you're saying, eh, I've been down that road before and this guy's just going to try to rope me into doing something. Not at all the case. I promise you that God, if you will listen to what's said today and we look at Scripture, it's going to mess with you a bit in a very good way. And my hope is that by the end of this sermon, you will love Portview more than ever because... One, another reason why, because we really try to get and to live out and to help every person who's part of our church live out true biblical servanthood. My hope is that you will understand serving better and that you will want to become more like Jesus as a servant, as a servant leader even. Because some of you are going, well, I'm a leader. I'm talking about servanthood and that includes servant leadership. So let's begin by laying a, 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 really a theological foundation for this, for being servants, and finding out from Scripture why this is a good thing. We're going to start in a way that I'm, we're going to, I'm going to start somewhere I'm going to get us around. We're, kind of, we're, taking, a, we're taking a path around the mountain this morning. But I'm, what I'm doing is I'm laying a foundation so you understand when I come to serving, how come we got there? 
How come it's not just me saying, oh, we have work to do around the church, or you have things to do in the community, or you have stuff to do at home, and, and we're supposed to engage in that stuff, and that's stuff serving. It's so much more than that and deeper than that. So let me start our around the, around the mountain uh, theological foundation building here this morning with this verse from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this. It says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your fathers, forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now what's Peter talking about here? Peter's, the big picture is Peter's talking about your salvation here. That idea of being redeemed, and I'll explain that in a minute, about being redeemed. And he's, he's put it in context. He says that all of us have inherited from our forefathers, um, from our humanity, a feudal way of life. Now, you need to understand that. That's a very important foundational belief, that you came into this world messed up. That's what he's saying. That all of us, from our forefathers... In other words, from our humanity, from my lineage, have inherited from them a futile way of life. And that all of us were born, he's saying, into this sin-corrupted world. And the life we were born into is futile. And it's futile primarily because it's empty and without God. But it says in the text here, talking about, about, about Jesus' activity, but we were redeemed. In other words, redeemed means purchased. We were bought, we were purchased away from the old life of sin's control and we were purchased, it says, with something. We were purchased with the most precious and valuable thing that there is in all the entire universe. It says this, we were purchased, literally bought, with the lifeblood of Jesus. When it says the blood of Christ, it's talking about the life of Christ. So we're bought with the lifeblood of Jesus. That when he shed his blood on the cross, what he was doing is he was purchasing us. He was paying for the debt that we inherited from our forefathers, our sin debt that caused us to be separated from God. And what he says in the text here is that silver and gold can't do that. He says only the payment of Jesus' life could purchase us. He took our sins away. He bought us. He took our sins away when he did that. And he gave us his righteousness. What he did is he redeemed us. He paid for us. Now, when he did this, when he bought us, something very, this is the next step in the thought around the mountain, something very real happened. We became different than we were before we knew Jesus. He purchased us from something and made us different into something. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 talks about that. It says it like this. It says, for he, and he is Jesus, the same person we're talking about, God we're talking about, for he rescued us. From the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, when we respond to Jesus' invitation to come to him for forgiveness of our own sins, it says here, change happens. When we come to Jesus, friends, we don't like join a church. That's not coming to Jesus. We don't get religion. We don't, we're not following the religious views of our parents or our cultures. He says, no, here in the text, we are rescued from Satan's darkness and his rule, and we are transferred into God's kingdom, where we then take on the spirit and the nature of King Jesus. 
Now, what's this look like? Positionally, in other words, our position with God, positionally, his righteousness, the righteous, his character is given to us. So we're made perfect in God's eyes. So that when the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ in place of the old nature I had atopped, I inherited from my family. Now I've been redeemed and I've been transferred to a new kingdom and he's made me different. And I now have the righteousness of Christ. In other words, you look like Jesus spiritually. But also, we know, because we live with ourselves, that we are also, um, practically, we are slowly becoming, in character, more like Jesus. That little by little, we are being transformed into the character of Jesus, as we talked about a while back, as we pickle in the kingdom of God. You understand what I mean by that? We talked about how a cucumber becomes a pickle. That you put a cucumber in the brine for a long enough period of time and you let it sit in there, eventually it's affected by the brine and it becomes a pickle. Well, that's really what happens in our Christianity. That positionally, the righteousness of Christ is given to us, but practically, we are being conformed into, little by little, the character of Jesus and as we, so as we spend time with Jesus, we spend time in his character, we are pickling in his kingdom, spending time in his presence. So in his presence, change begins to happen to us from the inside out. Now, are you following me so far as we're going around the mountain? Now, here's where we start to apply it to our topic today. Now, the reason this is so important here is that for us to really understand serving we need to understand our true identity in Christ. We need to understand who we are becoming as we pickle in the kingdom of God, living in Jesus' presence. So the question is, who or what are we really to be and to become? As those of us who have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into God's kingdom. What are we becoming? Who are we becoming and what are we becoming? We could think of all kinds of answers, but the answer that Scripture really says is one that you might not normally think of. What we're becoming, according to God's Word, is we are becoming servants. That's who we're becoming. That's what we are being transformed into more and more if I will choose to walk in the kingdom, pickle in the presence of God, and allow Him to change me into who He wants me to become. You see, Jesus clearly communicated this to His followers, that they, as they were following Him, that they were to follow Him and become like Him in the role of servants. I'm going to show you that this morning. Grab your Bible. Turn with me to the, the John's Gospel. John chapter 3. I'm sorry, John chapter 13. We're going to read a pretty lengthy section of Scripture, so, so just follow along as I read it. I'm going to read this, this whole, pretty much this whole story, um, this description of the Lord's Supper. Jesus is having this final supper um, with his disciples. And we're going to see something here that maybe you didn't really notice before. John 13, 1 to 17. You there? Okay. It says, John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, 
having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. So for those of you who don't really, you kind of poo-poo all this devil stuff, uh, would you please take your scissors out and cut chapter 2 out of John 13? Because clearly the devil's having influence over, over people. Um, verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. In other words, he wrapped the towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which, with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I, do, what I do to you, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And he knew the one, for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. So he says, I am teacher, I am Lord. He's saying, I have a high position. Verse 14. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example, he's saying this is an example, that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Look at verse 15. He said, for I gave to you an example that you should do as I did to you. Now, some people in some church um, churches would believe that means we should wash each other's feet. And you know what? It's all right to believe that. And I, and I don't think that's, that's necessarily an inappropriate application. But that's really not the essentialness of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying, I gave you an example so that you should do what I have done to you. In other words, he's saying, you serve one another as I have served you. You serve as I serve. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew who he is. Jesus understood something about himself. Jesus understood, I am a servant. Jesus is a servant. He'd earlier said something about that in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 20, he said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus understood his true identity. He knew he was a servant. So you know what he did? He served. There was no conflict in this for him because he knew he was a servant, and servants serve. So no conflict, no internal dissonance. Servants serve. I'm a servant, so therefore I'm going to serve. And Jesus says to his followers, in a very dramatic style here, by washing feet, he, he washes their feet, which is the lowliest of servant duties. He says, now you do as I did to you. You go and serve one another. Listen to me, friends. 
The reason there is often conflict within you when you are called to serve, especially as you get older and you rise in levels of leadership and influence, the reason that within you there's conflict when you are called on to serve is because you don't really understand your true identity in Christ. We are servants as he is a servant. Our highest and holy calling is to serve one another. In fact, I'm going to make an application here that I'm willing to bet you haven't really thought of before, but it's so applicable into a church with a theology, a historical theology like we do that believes in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, believes in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We, we allow room in our services even for manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. And some of you say, that's wonderful, but you can't seem to understand how, how you want all that. But you really wrestle with serving. Here's the connection. It's our high and holy calling to serve. In fact, serving is so important that Scripture says the Holy Spirit will specifically gift every follower of Jesus Christ with special spirit-empowered giftings so that each of us can do something. Each of us can serve in a spirit-empowered way. The only reason God ever gives spirit gifts is so we can serve in spirit-empowered ways. Um, Serving is so much of, of who we are as Christians... That the Holy Spirit's presence within you is tied to the unique way God intends for you to fulfill your role as a servant. I don't want to say that again. Because I think we'll gloss right over it. Serving is so much of who we are that the Holy Spirit's presence within you is tied to the unique way God intends for you to fulfill your role as a servant. That's how important serving is. God gives you spirit-empowered giftings so that you can be a spirit-empowered servant. He doesn't give you spirit-empowered giftings so you can be a spirit-empowered superstar. He gives, now being a servant may drive you to that, and and you'll find out you don't like it, but he gives you giftings, spirit's empowerment is tied so that to you, so it's tied so that you can be a better servant. That's why he gives you spirit giftings. This is why Jesus says something that a lot of times we have dissonance with. Jesus says greatness comes through serving. That's what Jesus said, not what Mark says. Greatness comes through serving. Why? Because in serving... God's special empowerment is demonstrated through you. In serving, your true identity, who you are in Christ, is revealed. Because the spirit gift that God puts within you is revealed. So your true identity is revealed. Christian greatness is seen in Christ-like service. It's not seen in any other any type of ego-driven performance or demonstration. Now, in the church world, we'll elevate people all the time based on ego-driven performance. 
But God says greatness comes through serving because serving is tied to your spirit giftings that God puts within us. And if you don't serve, that means your spirit giftings are not revealed and you're operating in your flesh and not God's power and you can never experience God's greatness and have God's greatness revealed through you unless you choose to serve according to your spiritual giftings. Does that make sense? Does it? Friends, you are the greatest when you are an empowered servant. You are your greatest. I am my greatest when I'm an empowered servant. Yesterday, Friday and Saturday, I spent, I spent the weekend in Wapaka teaching classes called DSOM, District School of Ministry. They're classes for people who are working through educational requirements to become credentialed pastors within the Assemblies of God. And so I teach DSOM classes. I teach them in Milwaukee. I teach them in Wapaka. And so, so I was gone for Friday and Saturday until Saturday, until yesterday evening, teaching classes nonstop the whole time. And I came home and I told Suzanne, I sat there, I was tired. You know, I had a long week, and then that long week just kept on going right into teaching for two days. And, and uh, you know, I knew I'd get home, go to sleep, and get up and do it again. And I sat in the, I sat in the couch with her, and I said, I belong doing that. For a reason. It's not that I make any money doing it. <laughs> you don't do ministry for money. They basically reimbursed me for my gas to go back and forth. So I don't make any money doing it. I didn't. I don't do it and say that because people said, "Oh, Mark, what a great job you did." I said it, and the reason I don't say no to it, like I say no to many other things, is I understand when I'm in that setting, I am functioning in the giftings of God. I understand that there's certain things about me that if I had a choice. I would not be the person standing up front speaking to you. This is not what I want to do. I'm not saying I did, that I dislike it. I'm saying and I'm, much, I'm much more comfortable now than I was 25 years ago. But my choice would be to serve in a cafe or to cut the church lawn. I'm telling you the truth. That's what I would choose. But I understand something, and I'm just using myself as an example. God loves to take dyslexic guys who are afraid to stand in front of a crowd who have for years suffered a panic attacks and says, I'm going to have you make a living standing in front of people. That's what he does. Now understand this. I shouldn't even say this, but I'm saying it for a reason. Yesterday in the middle of teaching, in the middle of teaching, I had a little tiny panic attack. And I literally started freaking out, but I don't allow it. I just I keep fighting through it. I turned as red as this shirt. I know I did. I kept on going. The reason I say this is about five minutes ago, and my wife will know, the exact same thing happened. And you just think, oh, Pastor Mark was stumbling over his word. Pastor Mark is looking down and going, okay, I, got it. I can't let this go. Because I have a panic attack. I have my whole life. In the, it happens, you guys have no idea. It happens all the time. But I, here's the typical response. I'm never going to do that again. You don't have that. If you want to function in greatness, not your greatness, God's greatness, you say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do according to the giftings he's given me. And it's been proven over years that the giftings God is primarily giving me is teaching preaching. And so guess what? I function in those capacities. Even though it would be way easier for me to say, well, that makes me uncomfortable. There's things in your life that you say it makes you uncomfortable, but there's giftings in your life that are from the Lord. 
and you are sitting on them because you say, oh, what if this happens? Guess what? You know what happens when you're standing in front of a couple hundred people and you start to have a panic attack? You, in your mind, because your brain thinks six times faster than your words come out, you say, Jesus, help me. And you just keep plowing and you kind of pretend, you're, you, you hope no one else other than your wife looks at and recognizes it. But she did, right? About three or four minutes before I talked about it. The reason I bring it up is not to say, oh, I feel sorry for Pastor Mark. No, not at all. I'm saying this. If you want to be used greater than you can be used according to your capacities, you have to be willing to step out in the giftings God has given you and the scriptures say that every one of you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. And if you only function in how you're comfortable, you'll never do that. If you only function according to your plan, because the world messes with you. It tells you from the time you're little, make this plan. And the biggest one, Brett and I had this conversation, because he's, he's starting this new job and all they keep pounding on him is about retirement, retirement. He's like, I'm 20 and all they care about retirement. I said, well, that makes some sense. He goes, but I'm, pro- I'm going to be in missions. I said, yes, go, guess what, Brett? You know what I did? It was really stupid according to the world, but I know it was God. I, had all, I started out in my 20s, and I cashed it all in and paid for Bible college. And I don't regret it for a day. No, I mean, I'll work till I'm 80. But that's okay. This idea of sitting around on your butt and, and collecting seashells isn't God's plan for anybody. It's not. I know I'm going off on a tangent here, so my finger's on my notes here. It's where I left off, right there. But I'm telling you, if you want to see God do things that are beyond our human capacities, it only happens because of spirit enablement. And spirit enablement often is tied to areas that you're weak in. That's why you'll never see me give gift inventory tests. I don't use them. I think they're the opposite of what they're supposed to be. They say, what do you enjoy doing? I don't enjoy standing in front of a class when I know I might have a panic attack. But guess what? You do it. Why? Because I could come back at the end and go, and I'll, I'll say the same thing today. I'll say, you know what? God used me today. That's what I'll conf- conclude. God used me. The same way he'll use you in the cafe, and this use of a person is no greater than the use of a person who walks out of church today, because it didn't work the other day because it was frozen, and sees the clumps of mud that were plowed up by the plow, and if it's soft, they turn it over and they go, oh, God, God gave me gifts to make things grow and make things look nice. It's the exact same giftings. God will give you giftings. Suzanne and I, we can't grow anything. She was happy the other day. You know what she said to me? We have a plant we bought. She goes, and how, it's been how long now? A year? She goes, we have a plant that's still alive. It's the first plant in 27 years of marriage that survived one year. The first one ever. We're not gifted at it. We're not personally gifted at it. We're surely not spiritually gifted at it. But some of you are. And greatness. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about ego-driven greatness. I'm talking about change-the-world greatness. Greatness comes through operating according to your spiritual giftings. And spiritual giftings are tied to service. So if you're not engaged in serving, I would say this, if you're not engaged in serving in your local church in a consistent manner, you're not using your gifts. Now, I can't, you can use them in the workplace. But I believe God has wants every person in his, in his kingdom engaged in service in their local church. Because that's where he reveals himself. Does that make sense? 
So you and I are greatest when we are empowered servants. That's what God wants us to get. Now, moving on. Lest you think that I'm leading you astray and it's just a, it's just a, uh, a bent I have on servanthood and I'm just trying to do it because it's one of our core values of our church and, or one of our, one of our, um, uh, priorities of our church and you think that I'm just trying to arm twist and manipulate you and I'm good at it. Let's see what the early church fathers thought about their identity. Put this up here once a slide. I'm just going to go through, I just grabbed a couple of them. The Apostle Paul, Romans 1 1. These are all guys describing themselves. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. James, a half brother of Jesus. James 1 1. He starts off the book. These are, this is how they declare themselves right out of the, right out of the shoot. They're going to write a book. They're going to write a letter and they go, let me tell you who I am. James, bondservant of, of God. Simon Peter, from 2 Peter 1 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant of the Apostle Jesus Christ. Jude, Jude 1 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And there's one more from the book of Revelations from John. John writes this. John, Revelation 1 The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave, gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and he com- communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. Do you think these people kind of got their, who they were in Christ? think they understood their identity in Christ was as servants? I think they understood it. Church, you need to understand today. Fulfillment and joy and effectiveness become a greater reality when you see your true identity as a servant. And then you serve according to your giftings. Servants serve. So, I want to make one application of this and how it can be effective. It's I want to point out this. It's why it is so important that we get this. Because God works through our service to accomplish his purposes for his kingdom's expansion. For the kingdom of God to expand, it takes two things primarily. It takes truth and it takes proof from his followers. You see, the world around us doesn't really care what we, the church, have to say anymore. We've been marginalized. The culture and media just dismisses the church. Friends, we got truth coming out of our ears. But it's really not impacting our community anymore because people just aren't listening. We need truth. But we need something else. We need proof. And loving, helpful, Acts of service are proof to the world around us that our truth is worth listening to. Our service says we've been changed by the truth that we say we believe in. Think of it this way. Imagine Jesus going out into towns and villages during his public ministry, proclaiming the truth of the gospel without the accompanying proof of healing and helping and feeding and encouraging and forgiving. Do you think people would have followed him and listened to him if he just would have spoke truth? I don't think so. They flat out said, we're here because you fed us. They were there because of his, his, his proof. 
the gospel to be effective is truth and proof. And if God is going to bring people into his kingdom from our community, from your families, through us as a church, through you as individuals, then people are going to have to listen to the gospel message and the doorway for anyone listening is the proof of our love for them. And that is what serving others with the love of Jesus will do. Serving with love opens hearts' doors. I want to give you a real-life port view example. And I've done, I've done my best to, to sanitize this, take the names out and take other places' names out. This is a letter sent to our church, not to me, but to a ministry leader in our church from Divorce Care Ministry and Divorce Care for Kids. This is what it says. And I'll say the people who are serving in that capacity, or at least at that time, were Darlene, Dave, Dick, Miss Judy, and Mr. Tom. I want to take this time to let all of you know that I still think of you, and so do the boys. We haven't been back to Portview in a while now, unfortunately. I have tried to plan it out a few times, but the boys just don't come home from their dad's house early enough on Sundays. I am blessed to say that I keep the boys six days a week now. Their dad travels with work and such, and so he has given me full custody. The boys have adjusted very well to it after a while, of getting used to their dad not picking them up at all. All in all, the boys are very happy these days. Blank, one of the boys, is now a Cub Scout, and the other one is learning piano! Exclamation point. So I wanted to let you know that after a lot of soul-searching, sort of speak, sort of to speak, I have finally decided that I'm going to continue to go to, and this happened to be to a church, to an Assemblies of God church. And this is not a promotion for the Assemblies of God, but I continue to go to an Assemblies of God church and no longer feel guilty of not being at the church I was raised in. You see, ever since our first visit to Portview Church service, I have thought about your church to the point where it was kind of weird how often it stayed in my mind. Deep down, I knew it was God nudging me. You see, I was so moved by your church's sermons and by the friendliness there whereas I always felt like I was just going through the motions at my old place. So we have visited Calvary here in West Bend, which is one of our sister churches a few times now. It's not Portview, exclamation point, (laughs) but it's a close second runner-up smiley face. So I just want to thank all of you, because in the end you have changed the lives of the boys and I in more ways than one. We miss you. The boys still ask to visit there. And so hopefully here and there we will find a way to do that. Thank you always for all you do helping people in divorce. God bless you. Guess what, friends? You know what it takes to put divorce care and divorce care for kids on in this church? It takes a handful of people to put a lot of effort into it. Led by Darlene and Dave, uh, a lot of people... And, and, and a continual frustration of not even being able to find enough workers to keep the programs going. Matter of fact, last year, we were unable to do divorce care for kids because we just didn't have workers to do it, even though we have tons of people that could. That's not, I'm not saying it to twist arms. I'm saying this. Those people who invested into that ministry at that time literally changed the life of a family to the point that they've met Jesus and they're attending a local church. You say, well, it's not our church. I don't care. 
It's a life-giving church. It's about the kingdom of God. I don't care. Of course, if they lived here, I'd love them to come here. We're the ones who, we're the gateway for them in understanding spiritual things and meeting Jesus. Of course, I would love them to be here. But they don't live here. They were driving. Why did it work? Because their heart doors were open. How were the heart doors open? Because some of our people who had never even met them said, we'll hold a, a class every single week for six months for I think it's two times of three months or whatever it works, and invest in their lives beyond that for a program that, that is for other people outside our church that we'll never meet again. Acts of service empowered by the Holy Spirit, because I'll back this up, the reason Dave and Darlene are leading that is because like six years ago, I was praying and I felt the Lord say, go ask them to lead this ministry, which wasn't in the church, And I went and asked them, and they said, we've been praying that God would ask us to do something together. It was clearly the calling of God, and clearly with his calling comes giftings. And when they function in that ministry according to the giftings of God, that's what happens. So it's all about service. It's all about letting the spirit giftings that you have flow through you in acts of love. That's what service is about. Friends, this is why Jesus calls himself a servant. And this is why he said that we are servants. Loving service propels and empowers gospel truth. What's my true identity? What's your true identity? We are spirit-empowered servants with Jesus. That's why one of our values of our church, our purposes, is that we believe that we should serve passionately with the love of Jesus. So today, here's my challenge as we close. I challenge you to do two things today. Number one, I challenge you to be honest with yourself. Does being seen as a servant cause you some internal conflict? Being asked to serve make you run and hide? If so, and it does to many, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you see how serving is the highest calling because it aligns you with Jesus and opens you up to spirit empowerment via the giftings of his spirit in you. So I simply want you to ask God about it and say, God, help me to line up with line up seeing myself the way you see me, the way I need to see me. That's the first challenge. Second challenge is this. Don't just talk about it. Do something. Whatever it is, do something. Serve. Um, Jesus said with the Lord's Supper, he said, I'm telling you this as an example, so that, remember what he said? So that you will do it. I believe everyone in this place, according to scriptures, has a place of serving in the church and in their community involvement, meaning family, friends, co-workers, jobs. Become involved in the church's ministries. God's plan isn't for you to be a consumer. If your idea of church is simply coming in here and consuming what somebody else did, somebody else made you a cup of coffee, somebody else vacuumed the floor, somebody else this morning, I watched them put, put offering envelopes in the back of the chairs. Somebody, they, they knew it had to be done and so they, they, they went and did it. Doing something. If your idea is just being a consumer, let me tell you, we have opportunities for service 
from cleaning and maintenance of the church to ministering to kids and youth to doing office work to visiting people in the hospital and nursing homes and anything else you can imagine. If God gives you a passion for it, we'll help you do it. And when you serve then, you will fulfill your identity and you will open the door for spirit-empowered gospel ministry. And that's what we want, isn't it? Isn't that what we want? So I end simply with Jesus' words. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Let's pray. Jesus, I know that your word on this topic is exactly the opposite of the world's word on this topic. Matter of fact, Jesus, we could have went that direction and looked at when Jesus confronted that. When he says, the leaders of the world tell you this, to dominate. But I tell you this, serve. And Lord, I would pray this for Portview Church family right now, starting with me. We want to get this. We want to get this where we understand that serving is our highest calling. Because when we serve, we literally are opening ourselves to be a channel of your supernatural activity. And Lord, your word shows all these different ways to serve. It says some are supposed to serve by leading. In, in Romans, and some are supposed to serve by, by teaching. And some are supposed to serve by abundantly giving. And some are supposed to serve by, by acts of helps. All the different ways we see in the body of Christ. As diverse as the people in this family. But I ask you, Lord, help us. Because, Lord, I know for me and I know for us that we have been bombarded with a, with a worldview that says that success is being on the top of the heap and having everybody serve you. Show us, Lord, that success is being like Jesus, that we can lead a revolution by being servants. That we can literally lead a revolution that changes the world by serving others. We can serve as the CEO of our, of our company. We can serve as the father in our house. We can serve in any, any job or capacity we have in the world. We can be servants. Acts of loving kindness coming through us to other people. Show us what that looks like. Because God, at least for me, and I say it as best I can as a representative of this church family, Lord, we want this because we want all of you. And I pray now just for the very clear activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that God you will help us as we're pickling right now in your presence to just be transformed a little more into the image of Jesus in this way the image of servants and God we thank you that that's for our good and for the blessing of the world Lord I pray now that you would bless this church family that God, whatever is going on, I know there was sickness and, and some issues. Lord, whatever has been going on in our lives, we pray for miraculous and dynamic, spirit-empowered freedom and deliverance and healing. And God, that we'd walk from this place now as empowered servants with eyes wide open to see how in the world 
can I change the world as Jesus works through me? So God, use your kids, use your church family this day, this week, for your glory. We love you, Jesus. Amen.